Hey, uh, if you're new to the church this week, you will have missed the last couple of weeks. We've been doing a series called The Pearl of Great Price. And, I mean, hands up, who's been enjoying this? It has just been a fantastic, fantastic series. And I knew it was going to be a fantastic series when Dave said, guys, we're doing this series. I want you to preach about what it is that makes you want to follow Jesus. Why is Jesus worth following? And there's been a few different things, and I think it's worth our while just taking a brief moment to recap um, some of the things that we've talked about. And if you want to go into more detail, get the Hilds uh, Baptist podcast and listen to it, and listen to it again, because there is some really awesome teaching in there. But in the first week when Dave... Yeah, thanks, that was... Uh... <laughs> no, no, all good. Uh, the first week when David opened up, he talked about this concept of rescue, that Jesus rescued us from our state of uncleanness. He talked about how in the Bible there's all these things that would make people ceremonially unclean and prevent them from coming into the very presence of God. And when Jesus came, instead of him becoming unclean by all those things, by healing the leper, by raising the dead, Jesus actually imparted his cleanness onto the unclean. He has made a way to rescue us from certain death. He then talked about in the following week about God's rest, entering God's rest, restoring everything Satan took was the acronym he had for that. The call from that, the, the thing that really stood out to me is that Jesus is calling us not just to be fans on the side, waving our flags, going, yeah, yeah, isn't this great? But to get our skin in the game, to get our off our butts, onto the ground and participate in what God has called us to, to take his yoke upon us. You might remember Sammy drunk that egg yoke and it was all a little bit confusing. But to take our yoke upon us, take, take his yoke upon us so that we are following him as disciples. Yeah, Who remembers how we had all the volunteers up the front, all these different things, money, greed, temptation, power, things of this world that are tying us up in bondage, that we think we are free, but we are not, because we are bound to all these things. And the call is to enter God's rest, to enter the Holy Spirit, the Son, the Father, and abide in them, take up their yoke and follow them with all we've got, because He is worth it, because He is the pearl of great price, yeah? And then last week, we had Mark sharing on the, the concept of Jesus is worth our respect, he's worth our following, he's worth everything in our life, simply because he is king. And we looked at that passage in Laodicea, the letter to the Laodiceans, where Jesus says, guys, you're not hot, you're not cold, you are lukewarm. I'm outside here. Get it together. Open the door and I will come into you. And it was a call to a wholehearted faith, a total commitment to following Christ because he is worth it. Regardless of all this amazing stuff that he's done, he's worth it because he is God Almighty. And without him, we don't even have life. And so this week, we're going to look into the concept. When Dave messaged me about that, I was, the first thing that came to my mind was, man, he's worth it because without him, we do not have life itself. Just like when... Jesus was talking to his disciples after he'd been talking about eating his blood and drinking, uh, drinking his blood and eating his flesh, and many were put off. And he turns to Peter and says, Are you going to leave too? What was Peter's response? Lord, where else are we going to go? You alone 
have eternal life, have the words of eternal life. So Jesus is worth everything. Jesus is the pearl of great price because he is the only one that gives us life. If I could put it in a, um, in a one-sentence big idea, the pearl of great price costs our very life and in doing so gives us eternal life. The pearl of great price, it's not something that we can just buy with money, it's not something we can do by giving a part of our life, but it actually costs our very life. That is the great paradox, the great key that the scripture is getting at. The pearl of great price costs our very life, and in the process, we get eternal life. So this is some good news that we're going to look at today. By way of introduction, who's heard of Kanye West here? Yeah? Who's been following this uh, transformation that's been going on? How cool is it? This guy, Kanye West, for those of you who don't know, he's only one of the biggest names in music um, (laughs) at the moment. I think he's sold over 124 million records. He's married to Kim Kardashian, who's, uh, I don't know what she's famous for, but (laughs) one of those ones that's famous for being famous. And... um, He's a big deal in Hollywood and in the influencing um, circles around the world. Has a huge impact on global trends and and, and what goes on. But this guy, after years and years of living at the top, being a billionaire, having a brand, having his music, all these different things, has come out and said, you know what? All of that actually means nothing to me. I've realised that there is one true king, Jesus Christ, and he's worthy of following with all that we have. And as I was reading about this and just gobsmacked, I mean, we probably shouldn't be because, let's face it, he's saying the truth. (laughs) You know, Jesus is so much greater than anything that this world has to offer, any fame, any fortune. But I was looking at a YouTube clip called um, Airpool Karaoke with Jeremy Corden, and some of you might have seen it. And basically the concept is he gets on this plane with a whole lot of his people from the Sunday service that he's going around and taking Sunday services, all these magnificent gospel singers, and they're just singing worship songs to God and they're having a great time discussing different things about children and life. And Jeremy Corden goes to Kanye West and he says, what do you say to people who say, I don't believe it? I don't believe the reawakening that Kanye says he is having. If I look back at your life the last three, four, five years, it was night and day. Everything has changed now. I just don't believe that this can actually happen. You know, one day you're living your life this way, the next day you're saying that you're sold out for God and that he is all that matters. I don't believe it. And Kanye just looks at him and brilliantly comes out and says, would you agree that when you're asleep... You're asleep? Would you agree that when you are awake, you're awake? And those are two different states. And then he says a very profound truth. He says, people who don't believe are walking dead. They're asleep. And this, my life now, this is the awakening. I've come alive to Christ. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. The fact that we were dead And now we are called to come alive to Christ. So if you've got your Bibles, open up with me. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2. Now obviously the whole book is amazing and worth reading. But for the sake of brevity today, we're going to be looking at chapter 2 verses 1 through to 7. 
I'm just going to start off by reading the first three verses. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So here is a reality. There are but two types of people in the world. There are those who are dead in sin, and there are those who are dead to sin. There are those who are dead in sin, and there are those who are dead to sin. And what Paul is describing here in these first three verses is he's saying, You guys, you were dead in sin. And this is what it looks like. There is both a battle within, within us, and there is a battle raging on the outside as well. You see, every single decision that we make, we are choosing to walk in a certain direction. Moment by moment, day by day, the decisions we make, the things we allow to go through our mind, the thoughts we have towards other people, the neglect or the time that we invest in spending with God, in spending in His Word, every decision we are making is taking a step on a certain journey, on a certain path. And that is either leading us towards God, or as Paul says, it makes us follow the course of this world. Now, one of the great cries of modern secular society is, follow your own heart, isn't it? Now, the problem here is that Paul says, by nature, we are children of wrath. One writer put it this way. The, heart, the trouble with human nature is that we are born with a heart that loves ourselves over and above everything else in this world, including God. In short, we are born slaves to the lust for self-gratification. Just like Dave was talking about in the rest, we are born as slaves. Our natural inclination is to move towards these things that are going to tie us up because they feel good. You know, it wouldn't, wouldn't work if it caused us you know, incredible pain and suffering straight away. But these are things that our heart naturally lusts after, the passions of the flesh. Many people statistically are addicted to things like internet porn, yeah? No doubt that's something that happens amongst many of us here. And we are slaves to that. We are slaves to a whole lot of different things, to gossip, to wanting to try to fit in with people. So we hide our faith and we don't walk that path that will lead us to God. We walk after our own heart. We want to get rich. We want to get ahead in work. And so we hide certain things or we do things that, frankly, the Bible says is not okay. And this is the battle that is, that is within. Now, Paul, Paul writes here that we are following the passions of our flesh. And here's the thing. The call as a Christian is not to have no passions, but it's to have deeper passions that, take, that are going to trump these superficial passions of the flesh. These passions that make us wake up in the morning and go, God, I need you. God, I need you more than I need food. God, I need you more than I need drink. I want to be soaking in your presence. Because here is the reality, guys. This is, an, is a truth that I've found to be true time and time again. You will always do 
what you are most passionate about. You will always do what you are most passionate about. Man, I love bike riding and I love riding to work each day. So I make it a priority. I'll get up early and I'll do it. Some might say, well, okay, what if somebody comes up to you with a gun and says, hey, give me your money? You might not want to give them your money. But your deeper passion is that you want to live. And so because of that, you're going to compromise and you're going to hand over your money. We will always do what our passion, what we are most passionate about. So take a moment to reflect and look at your own life and go, well, okay, what does the way that I am living say that I'm most passionate about? This is a convicting thing for me to think about because I think, God, you know, I want my number one passion to be about you. But if I actually break down the hours of my day that I'm sitting in prayer, that I'm reading the word, that I'm sharing my faith, does my life reflect the outward confession that I would want to make that I'm passionate about following God? Or is it that I'm more passionate about catching up on what's the latest on Netflix? And so there is this battle within that would seek to keep us dead in sin. Paul also writes about a battle that's on the outside. He says, You were following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And this is something that we in a secular society such as Australia neglect far more than we pay attention to. The fact is, guys, there is a spiritual battle raging over each and every single one of our lives. The devil is not happy when he sees Christians getting on fire for God. Right? He's perfectly content when we're like the Laodiceans, lukewarm at heart, apathetic, which seems to be our natural default, doesn't it? I know in, in my life, that's the natural default, is to just tread along, go, yep, God, we're cool, great. Without this deep, seated passion of, I must be a disciple of Jesus. I must follow him. I must give him my life so that I can inherit eternal life. There is a pearl of great price that is worth pursuing with everything we've got. And Satan is out there and he's using every different tactic that he's got in his book. Now in some countries, like places I've been to, like in Indonesia, South Sudan, his, his main tactic is fear, right? So people over there will be offering sacrifices, they'll be giving money, they'll be burning incense, and they'll be doing all sorts of things to appease the spirits so that the spirits give them prosperity, so that the spirits won't you know, cause infertility, will give them crops. And that's how he works. It's just this fear-based thing. Over here, it seems far and away more likely that he's just in the background using... What, it, what, it, what was it that David said the other week? You are not busy, but you are distracted. Did that resonate with anyone else? You're not busy, but you're distracted. And in our distraction, I mean, like, we're so distracted, and I'm speaking from first-hand experience, I can hardly sit down and take a dump on the toilet without pulling out my phone and checking on what's Instagram or doing my Duolingo or doing all sorts of things. Times where it should be nice and peaceful and we can just reflect on what's going on in the world. But we are so distracted. And what that does is that eats into our mind, it eats into our hearts, and it takes away. And we become that much more separated from God. And as Satan does that and moves us along that way, all of a sudden we find that maybe our consciences aren't as pricked as they should be when we're um, walking into sin. And then Satan comes in and heaps that little bit of extra guilt on us. 
and then we feel this separation of unworthiness, which is totally um, from Satan. The Holy Spirit will convict us and move us towards him because God is a God of grace. Satan will keep guilt on us and move us away from him, making us feel unworthy. And that is the difference between guilt and conviction. And once he's done that, he'll then seek to isolate us from godly influences around us. So he'll make sure that distractions come up on a Sunday morning so that we can't come and just have this intimate time of fellowship, of worshipping, of getting our perspective right, that he is the great God, worthy of all worship. Being around other people that are struggling just like we are, but are saying God is worth it. And he'll seek to isolate us from that. And once he's got that, then we're much more susceptible to listening to his little, eye, little lies that he's continually trying to feed to us, both in our mind, but also through the media, through influences in the world, of which we're all a part of and we're always getting bombarded with. And so there is a battle going on, both within ourselves and without. Satan trying to keep us following the course of this world, following him as the prince of the power of this air. Right? I mean, Paul's not going to use that term, the prince of the power of the air, if he's got no power. Okay? We think he's some horned dude sitting down in hell, just running things down there. Very, very mistaken. He's real. It says he's like a raging lion seeking who he can devour. In fact, John 10, 10 says um, that the thief, speaking of the devil, comes to steal, kill, and destroy But I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. I mean, this this is like my life verse. Um, If I was sharing my testimony in 20 seconds, I would say, when I was a teenager, I came to this point where I'd sinned and felt incredible guilt. I went and confessed and prayed to my parents and I walked out of that room a changed man having encountered the Holy Spirit of God. And it was like I walked out of there with wings carrying me. And I've just felt, man, if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. There is life and there is life abundant in Christ compared to the devil who comes to steal, to kill and destroy. Now one question that I want to ask you guys is because the difference between being dead in sin and being dead to sin is like everything. Is I want to ask you, are you still dead in sin? Are you walking this path that the devil would have you walk? Daily by day, making decisions that in five, that in ten years' time, if you are honest with yourself, you're going to look at your life and go, this is the path that I'm headed down. Because here is the reality. We have a room full of so many people. There are many here, sitting here today, who in five and ten years' time are going to have turned their back on Christ are going to say, yeah, look, it was nice, but uh, it's not for me. I don't think that pearl was worth giving everything for. And none of us are going to expect that. But this is what happens time and time again. And if I look back over my um, life, I can think of tens of people who at one stage in their life were walking towards God and then little decisions by little decisions are taken captive, are blinded, start believing the lies that the devil says, And they are taken away and they end up dead in sin. If you were to die tomorrow, this is one thing I often think of um, 
Uh, maybe because I'm a very morbid kind of person. <laughs> maybe in my work um, as a doctor, we come across death um, more frequently than the common person. But if you were to die tomorrow, what would people say from looking at your life were you most passionate about? Because that's a really good indicator of whether you are dead in sin or whether you are dead to sin and alive to Christ. So I want to throw out that challenge and let that sit in your heart. Let that sit in your mind and come later on this afternoon. Find a quiet time to sit before God and say, God, show me. So the alternative to death in sin is to die to sin. Now in Matthew chapter 16, 24, it says, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Jim Elliot put it this way, He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Now, this is a humble act of the will in submission to God, but something that Jesus says is absolutely essential. For if we, to, if we are to gain the pearl of great price, it is going to cost us our very life. But in doing so, we gain eternal life. To ram this point home, as Baptists in particular, we have emphasis on two sacraments, basically. Baptism and communion. Now, in baptism, Romans um, 6 Paul talks about, he says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? It is a call to follow him into death. We were buried with him, there, therefore, by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. It is a call to die to become truly free. Because until we have that old life dead? How can we walk in the newness of the Spirit? And then in communion, I mean, what is it we do when we have communion? We are drinking. Jesus says, drink this. This is my blood. Eat this. This is my body. And in fact, in John chapter 6, Jesus was spending a long time going on and on and on about that. And it was kind of grossing people out. He's saying, Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. There can be no life in you because I am the bread of life. And when Jesus was talking about this, it creeped people out. And many people went, I'm not going to follow this guy. If this guy is claiming to be the Messiah and he's just talking about death, I don't want part of this. Like if he's going to heal me, yeah, I'll have that. If he's going to perform miracles on cue for us like Herod wanted him to, yeah, cool, we'll follow this guy. If he's going to crush the Roman Empire and bring back the throne of David and restore the honor and dignity of Israel, this is a guy that we're going to get behind. But if he's going to say, if you want to live, first of all, you've got to die. If he's going to say, you've got to be baptized into my death, well, that's, going to, that, that's not going to cut it for me. Because it's an offence to us. It's an offence to our pride. And as these disciples were leaving, that's when he came and said to his 12 disciples, and he said, are you guys going to leave as well? What path are you going to walk? 
And that's when Peter declares those beautiful words, Lord, where else will we go? There is no one else in all of history, in all of life. There is no hope other than you. You alone have the words of life. Because this is the reality, guys. If you are dead, it is not you that is earning your salvation. A dead person cannot save themselves. If you've seen somebody die before you, you know that this is, this is final. They're not going to get up. It's too late to put in antibiotics and try to get it going around them. It's too late because the life has passed. And Jesus is saying, come to me. Come and die. Take up your cross. And then witness the resurrecting power of the Son of God who alone was raised from the dead. Now, if Jesus didn't do that, 1 Corinthians 15 says, none of this is worth it. But we have eyewitness testimonies. We have thousands of years of history of people who have encountered the living Saviour, whose lives have been transformed, to say we can trust him at his word. C.S. Lewis puts it as only C.S. Lewis can when he says, Submit to death, death of the body in the end. Submit with every fibre of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage and ruin and decay. But look for Christ And you will find him. And along with him, everything else thrown in. You see, the pearl of great price costs us our life. And in doing so, gives us eternal life. So what is the solution to being dead in sin? It is to die to sin and come alive to Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, we read on. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Praise God for that, hey? And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I mean, can anyone actually get their head around that last little bit? I mean, I've, I've tried to think about it and think, you know, what does it mean to be raised up in the heavenly places and seated with Christ Jesus? What are these immeasurable riches of his grace? And I've come to the conclusion that I can understand enough that I know that I can't really comprehend just how magnificent and how wonderful this is. And this is our great hope as Christians. Now, when we look at How we die to Christ, what we are looking at really is two sides of the same coin. Yeah? It's not die to Christ and then you can come alive to Him later on. But it is very much as we are dying to Christ, we are at the same time coming alive to Him. As I'm putting to death the lusts of the flesh, as I'm putting to death the sins that that are so prevalent in my life. That is an active decision to come alive 
to Christ. As I'm spending time dwelling with Christ, abiding with him, inviting his Holy Spirit into my life, into my heart to convict me, to challenge me, to grow me, to comfort me, then I'm coming alive to him and I'm becoming dead to sin. That's old sinful nature, the Bible says, is being crucified with Christ, and we have been made the righteousness of God. His seed, the very seed of the Holy Spirit, dwells in us. And the Bible says in 1 John, therefore, we can't actually sin because it's His Spirit that's living in us. Therefore, live according to that, guys. So, a few things of um, what it means to be dead in sin as we are dying to sin is that. It's a call to purity. Yeah? It's a call to leave those things that Paul talked about, those passions of the flesh, and to actually take the call to purity seriously. The call to walk in integrity. What we do when nobody else is looking, the thoughts we let in our hearts, the things that we look at, the Bible is very, very clear that we are called to personal purity. And I think there's so much stuff in our lives and there is so much stuff that's being bombarded to us through TV, through the internet, that there is just this overwhelming burden on us, this constant interruption that keeps us from communing with the Holy Spirit as God would have us do. And we need to actually repent of that. We need to actually... See, the act of repentance means simply to turn the other way, to say, I'm sorry, and no longer walk in this direction, but to make a conscious act of the will that I'm repenting and I'm walking towards Jesus. And we need to do that as part of dying to ourselves. It is a call to servanthood, to putting others before ourselves. And that is what the family of Christ should look like. Philippians says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who being very God did not consider um, uh, yeah, I've forgotten the exact word, but did not consider it equality. equality to become a man. Christ humbled himself to become a man. And the, here is this great Messiah that the Jews had been waiting for, thinking he's going to come in riding with this sword and armor and army and kill the Romans. And he comes in, what does he do? He washes his disciples' feet. He's the picture of servanthood. He's the picture of humility. It is a call to giving up offense. Now, I used to work as a GP for a few years. And one of the most common things that people would come into me um, when they were seeking life advice because they were depressed, they were stressed, it was, everything was getting too much for them, was so much family tension. People not talking to people. Parents not talking to their kids, kids not talking to their parents, kids talking. I mean, I spoke to a guy just the other day who told me when he was 19 years old, things were so bad in his family, he wrote every single member of his family out a, a letter of divorce, handed it to them and said, you're all dead to me. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this should not be how we live. We talked about how, God, how Jesus instituted communion so that we partake in his death, yeah? What does the Bible say when we're about to take communion? If you have offense in your heart against somebody else or somebody has offense against you, put the cup down, go and make things right. Humble yourself because you're dead. What rights do you have if you're dead? Go and make things right. 
as quickly as you possibly can. Being dead to sin should mean a restoration of relationships. As we come alive to Christ, the word that's been um, hitting me time and time again over these past few months is to understand this concept of abiding in him. And this is something that, you know, the, I was thinking about it in terms of a relationship, right? So we want a relationship with God. I mean, we're all here at church. Odds are most of us here would say we want a relationship with God. But the way we do it is often very one-sided. We think, God, if you're God, you can come and just minister to me. And we, we expect this sort of one-way thing. Now think about how that would go if you're a young man trying to get a girl to uh, become your wife. How do you think it would be if he just like, oh, okay, you know, yep, I want to marry you, I want to spend my life with you, but I can't be bothered reading the letters that you send to me. When you call... Ah, yeah, look, I'll give you two minutes just before I go to sleep at night. How's that going to work for us? And we think we can have this relationship with God by giving him the dregs of our day. Just before we fall asleep, God, I might shoot off a little prayer. God, every few weeks I might pick up my Bible and read what you have to say to me. And it's this one-sided relationship that we just think, man, like, God, you, you know, you're cool. You can just do this whole thing. But to abide in Christ is to enter into this two-way relationship, to have this continual indwelling of the Holy Spirit, this awareness that wherever I go, He is there, this continual, yeah, just um, continual position of prayer, this posture of prayer, this desire of God. I want to meet with other believers and let's talk about you. Let's listen to you and hear what you would have to say. Abide in Christ. Now, as a really great example of what it means, if I could sum sum up what it is to be coming alive to Christ, the word I would use is discipleship. Now, consider Peter, who said those wonderful words of, Where else, Lord, would I go? You alone have the words of eternal life. What did it take for Peter to be a disciple? First of all, it took a dying to self, yeah? He left his whole life behind. He left his nets and followed Jesus. He spent time every single day. He was with Jesus when he stood up and spoke to the crowds and said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He was with Jesus when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus was saying, guys, you have no idea how important it is that you watch and pray. The devil is after you. He's sought to sift you. Watch and pray. He was with Jesus as he was sweating blood. He failed time and time again, as do we all. But he knew the character of Jesus, that Jesus is a graceful God. And that he was there when Jesus called to him and said, Peter, three times, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. He understood what it was to be restored in relationship. No matter what he'd done, no matter how big a failure he felt he was. And that is the same thing that Jesus is calling each and every one of us to. Saying, put aside the guilt that the devil is heaping on you. Come to me, take up my yoke, for it is light. There is life in this. 
And then Peter knew what it was after Jesus was crucified to see the resurrected Son of God taken up before him. He knew what it was to wait in Jerusalem for the coming of the Holy Spirit so that he could be empowered to do miracles that turned the world upside down, to preach with a boldness that even chains would not shut him up, to preach with such a boldness that when it came to it, he was willing to actually be crucified on a cross. But he said, I'm so unworthy, crucify me upside down. I mean, this is the model of discipleship. If we can just take just a small glimpse of that and start applying it to our lives, how different is our church going to look? If we can understand the value of that pearl, that that pearl of great price is worth everything, that we have a life that we is already dead to sin, what have we got to, uh, dead in sin? What have we got to lose but to make it dead to sin and alive to Christ and follow him? Follow him with that white-hot faith that burns away the lukewarmness of the Laodicean church that says, I am no longer content to be apathetic in my walk in Christ. I've done that for too long. I mean, who here? Don't put up your hands. <laughs> you know, I am in that boat. I have known what it is like to be dry, to be going through the motions of religion, for it not to be this, this burning desire in my heart, and I'm not content with that. I want a white-hot faith. I want a faith that just wakes me up and that says, like Ephesians 5.14 says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I want that faith that awakens me from the dead, like Kanye West has experienced, this guy who is dead and is now awake, and everything he's talking about now is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I want that to be the first thing on my lips as I wake up. I want it to be the last thing as I go to sleep. And I want that to overflow into my kids' lives. I want to see them grow and follow Christ with a white-hot faith that exceeds mine. I want that to overflow into our church life and to the people that we come in contact with. I want people that I work with to know that I am following a risen Messiah who is the pearl of great price with everything I've got because he alone is worth it. Take the moment to think, what would it look like if we, what would it look like if you were to fully submit to God and say, God, take everything. Instead of going to God as some sort of doctor that can give us a cure for you know, some addiction that we've got. Instead of going to him and saying, look, this is the parts of my life that, that aren't quite up to scratch. And trying to clean ourselves with the law, which is time and time again just said, look, the whole point of the law is to show you just how dead you are. It's like a coroner. It's not like a doctor. It's a coroner who's writing a report and saying, yeah, according to these perfect standards that God has set, you don't stand a chance. Even the moral law that's written on our hearts, I mean, everybody, even people that disregard the Bible, everybody would say, yeah, it is good to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It is good to live in a moral way that won't hurt other people. But nobody actually keeps their own standards, let alone the perfect standards of the Bible. So if you aren't content on just living this lukewarm faith, then I want to encourage you, do something different. If you're walking a path that just keeps you dead in sin, then what you are doing is not working. Something's got to change. All right, let's start doing something different.
My grandma, godly lady, died a few years ago, but she would teach her children as they walked out of their room, she would have a saying that said, ere you left your room this morning, did you think to pray? Can we maybe start each day before we wake, before we get our breakfast to spend 5, 10, 15 minutes in prayer? This is something that I've been trying to put into my life in the last few weeks and it is awesome. You realise, man, what have I been neglecting all these years? I'm coming into the presence of God and I love my breakfast. And so, so it's a great reminder as, as the hunger is there. God, give me a hunger for you. I want to hunger for you more than I hunger for breakfast. Are we reading this word? I mean, God, we, how, many, how many people would love it if God would speak to them? You know, hear the audible verse of, voice of God. God has spoken to us. He has written so much in here that is direct, inspired word of God. That is, I mean, it says this is the sword of the spirit, right? This is part of the armor of God that is useful for rebuking, reproof, for correction, for taking down the enemy, the devil who is seeking to destroy you, the thief who comes to steal, kill and destroy. If we don't have this, if we don't know what's going on inside here, we are just like sheep without a weapon. And let's encourage one another. As a church... Let's hold each other accountable. I moved here in January, been going to Allgate many years before that, but was um, living down in town and going to a church down there. And it was, a, it was a great godly church, preached the Bible. But I can tell you, what has helped me come alive more than anything else is having some godly guys around me. Having been able to meet up, just every now and then I get to go on a Friday morning and meet up with some of the guys um, at, at the cafe down the road here, to just... Be real together and pray. And this is life to my soul. Getting to be mates with Tim Barnett, who is just a great encourager all the time. When we get together, we ride, ride our bikes to work together and we stop and we pray. And that just brings life to my soul because we are not meant to do this walk alone and we are meant to be open and sharing our faith with each other and encouraging and spurring each other on. And then finally, just as part of that, um, I just want to talk briefly about a little course that we are going to start running that basically aims to bring all of these things in, to make it easier for us as a group, as a church, to get together regularly each week, Saturday morning, 6am, for eight weeks. The idea being to cultivate these habits of discipleship, to say, Lord, I am not content to just live this apathetic life, but to say, I want to, I want to invest in prayer. I want to invest in the next generation and I want to share my testimony to get in the word and pray together. So you'll see there's um, a website that we've got up. It's not as good as our uh, church's new website because I made it and I am a noob at IT stuff. <laughs> but feel free to get out your phones, put the address in. And see if this is something that God's calling you to be involved in. It's merely a tool to get people together, to get us practicing these habits of spiritual formation. So that as we do that, as we develop that, by the end of the eight weeks, the idea being, it's just a natural part of the rhythm of our life. We just 
get alongside it and we do it. And it is open to everyone. It's not just a thing that the youth can come to. I want my kids to come along and I want them to hear testimonies of God's faithfulness. I want them to hear older generations that say, this is what it takes to walk 30, 40, 50 years following after Christ. If you can't make it for the exercise because your body's not quite what it used to be, I want to see people coming up there, maybe not up there because you might not be able to get up, but coming into the gym and just praying over our church, praying over these next generations that are coming up and engaging in the spiritual battle and then sharing over a meal together, encouraging each other. And so I want to put it out to you. This will be happening in January. You're all very welcome. You can sign up on the website whenever. And um, yeah, in the meantime... Let's be encouraging each other that Jesus Christ is the pearl of great price. He is worth giving everything we've got. And the call is to a white, hot faith following him. To be dead to sin and alive to Christ. So as the band comes up, I just want to pray over us. Holy Spirit, we just pray that you would be amongst us. Father, that you would just be stirring a fire within us that is just no longer content to walk after the Laodiceans. Lord, that is no longer content to be bound up, but that just sees you in all your glory, in all your majesty as Jesus the King and follows you with everything we've got. Thank you, Lord, that you are worth it. And I just want to invite um, you, as, as we stand up to sing this next song, if you want to pray, if this, if you... I felt convicted that, hey, I am still dead in sin and I want to experience this life. I'm going to be down the front here. There's going to be a couple of other people who, um, yeah, a couple of elders if you want to come down the front as well. And if you want prayer over what it is to actually have the Holy Spirit of God living in you, if you want this new life that we've been talking about because you don't have it, then come up the front and pray with us. If you've been walking in apathy and you say, no, enough is enough. Today is the day that I take a stand and that I make a decision that I'm going to follow Christ no matter what the cost because he is worth it. Then come down the front. We'd love to pray with you. Let's encourage one another. Let's cover each other in prayer. And let's do this for the glory of God. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, Find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.